So the New Testament reading uh, is Ephesians 1, 1 to 14. And of course, this is uh, the backbone to the series that you are doing at the moment. Uh, so we'll read the whole of the 14 verses. Ephesians 1, reading from verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfilment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look to your word today, we pray that you'd give us understanding And we pray, Lord, that in it we might be encouraged and built up in our faith. And Lord, if any of us have come in today and we are searching for truth, if we're searching, if we're asking the question, what is Jesus about? What is the Christian faith about? We pray, Lord, that you would give understanding and revelation today. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So today... We're going to have a look at three points, and they're uh, in the newsletter. And uh, our brief for today is to look at verses 7 and 8. So let's have a look at that again. In him, in Jesus, of course, it's talking about in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. 
So the three points that we're going to have a look at, redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, and then God's grace, and then uh, it's sort of like a, a, a point, uh, half a point maybe, uh, God's grace that he lavished on us. So we're going to have a look at that. What does that actually mean? So let's come to this first one now, that we have redemption through his blood. The word redeem or redemption in biblical times was used in reference to the purchase of a slave's freedom. And it was very well known in the Roman times of the New Testament what that word meant. But we see this word redeem or redemption take place very profoundly in the Old Testament when the Hebrew people or God's people are rescued out of slavery in Egypt. Remember, that's what the word means, to redeem, to, to, to buy a person out of slavery. And God's people were purchased, they were rescued out of slavery in Egypt. And picture the scene. There were probably about two million descendants of Jacob. So that's with men, women and children. So it's a large group of people. And they are oppressed by the Egyptians. They are subject to forced labour. They are making bricks and they're building and they are also forced to do all kinds of work in the fields. And Exodus chapter 1 and verse 14 says this, In all their harsh labour, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. So the people of God, they were in slavery. They were having a very miserable time. But then things were to get even worse. So to slow down their population growth, Pharaoh came up with this, and we read it in Exodus 1 verse 22. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. So now on top of the harsh labour that they're being forced to do, they've got this threat hanging over them. And can you imagine the trauma of, of, for a Hebrew family uh, if mum's about to give birth and they're, they're thinking, is it going to be a girl or is it going to be a boy? And if it's a boy, the boy is going to be taken away, just a newborn baby, and thrown into the Nile River. Just the horror of that, uh, the, the, the grief that, that would happen. Um, it was just an incredibly traumatic, difficult, horrible situation that uh, these people found themselves in. And it was a hopeless situation because there was no hope for them of getting out of the oppression from these Egyptian slave drivers and there was no hope of getting away from Egypt. No hope at all, a hopeless situation. And today, in modern day, it is impossible for us to escape sin or the penalty of sin on our own. So what happened in the Old Testament is really a picture of what takes place for us today, that we are caught 
in sin. We're slaves to sin. And on our own, there is absolutely no hope to deal with sin or to get away from sin or its consequences. But God had a plan to deliver his people from slavery in Egypt. God had a plan for redemption. And the good news is God has a plan for our redemption today. And when we are redeemed through Christ, God has purchased our freedom and we are no longer slaves to sin or its consequence of guilt or eternal separation from God. And Jesus paid the price for our release from sin and its guilt and punishment. In Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28, we read this. Jesus gives his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus paid the price by giving himself. And redemption is only possible through his blood, that is, by his death. Now, we cannot take away our own sin. We cannot appease God's wrath towards our sin, not on our own. Just like the the Hebrew people in Egypt couldn't rescue themselves, we can't rescue ourselves from our sin. And perhaps a way to understand this is when we look at crime, whenever a crime is committed in, in our community, in our society, we expect there to be punishment for that crime. So, for instance, if we go and harm someone, or if we cause loss or damage, then we would expect that we would suffer the punishment for the crime that we have committed. And friends, we might say, oh, I'm sorry, but it still doesn't take away the crime and it still doesn't take away the consequence of the crime. Punishment still needs to be given. That's what we expect. If it was as easy as, as, you know, crimes are committed and people just say, oh, sorry, uh, if that's all, all that was required, then society would be an utter and total mess because the criminals would just run rampant, wouldn't they, if all they had to do was just say, oh, sorry, after committing a crime. It doesn't work like that. Um, justice must be done. Punishment must be given. That's what we expect. And it's the same with us And God, uh, we cannot take away our own sin and we can't just say, oh, sorry, and expect it to be okay. Justice must be fulfilled. Punishment needs to be given to fulfil the righteousness of God. Well, our sins are forgiven because Jesus has taken the just judgment for sin upon himself. So God doesn't just ever say, oh, it's okay, sin's okay, I'm just going to pass over, I'm just not not even going to be concerned about it. But Jesus takes our punishment for us. So justice is fulfilled, so we have redemption through his blood. Now, what does that mean for us, though? Well, this is where forgiveness of sins comes in. And let's have a look at at what that actually means. It means that our sins are wiped out. They are wiped off 
the record. It is like a financial debt being erased. Imagine if you've got, a, say, a house mortgage or, or a car loan and somebody comes along and just pays it for you. Wouldn't that be a great feeling? And that would be just a glimpse of what it's like when God comes along and he just wipes our debt, the, the debt we have of, of sin, God just takes it away. Uh, I was out with some Christian people at a restaurant. This is going many years uh, back. And uh, we, we were sort of having a meeting over, over our evening meal. And uh, then at the end, we went to pay for the meal. And then the waiter uh, behind the till uh, said to me, oh, you don't owe anything. And, and I just looked and, and I'm thinking in my mind, you know, I must be $150, $200, you know, for the group. And, and then he said, no, someone was here tonight and they have already paid for your group. And, uh, and, and wasn't that a blessing? Uh, I, I don't even know how they prepaid it, but anyway, they did. Somehow they, they paid all, all of our bill. And, uh, and so it was just like the, the, the debt that we owed, it was just cancelled. It was just taken away. We didn't owe it anymore. And, and that's the way that forgiveness works, where, where we have sinned, but then it's just forgiven. It, it, it's just taken away. It, it's just we, we, don't, we don't owe anything for our sin anymore. With forgiveness, separation from God is removed. We are no longer enemies of God in our thinking and evil behaviour. We are now holy in God's sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Furthermore, we become God's children. We are adopted into his family with all the benefits of identity, belonging and inheritance. What a blessing that is. You know, if, if you're feeling today a bit miserable about yourself and, and you're feeling like, you know, you don't, just don't stack up in society, if you're feeling a bit poorly about yourself, well, know this, because your sins are forgiven, your identity is now in Christ. If you're feeling like you don't belong, if you're feeling lonely, if you, if you just feel like you're all alone in this world, then know this, you have belonging in Christ because you now belong to the family of God. That's so powerful. You belong. You have belonging. And if you're feeling like you've been hard done by financially, then know this, in Christ you have an inheritance. And the Bible says it is being kept for you in heaven. You are rich in Christ. You might not have a lot of dollars now, but you are rich in Christ. We are all rich in Christ. We have an inheritance that is waiting for us. And there are many illustrations that can be used to help us grasp the enormity of God's forgiveness. And I just want to give one illustration today. Remember uh, just a little while ago when the news seemed to be overtaken by that Titan submersible. Uh, you know, it's all that we seem to pick up in, in the headlines. And um, it got me thinking, though, um, as I was talking about how, how deep our ocean is 
and, and they were talking about, you know, once you start to go down, the immense pressure that there is uh, uh, under, under the ocean. And then they talk about the utter darkness. It's, it's just as you go down, it's just pitch black. You get to a point where there's no light whatsoever comes through from the sun. It's just pitch black. And, uh, and, and then they talked about the fact, you know, even if they found that submersible with people still in it alive, how difficult it would be to go down to those depths and somehow try and grab a hold of it and, and to bring it up. And it really got me thinking how deep the sea is. It is just so deep. But you know what we read in Micah chapter 7 and verse 19? It says, uh, well, God says that he will hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Now, I don't think Micah was thinking about the Atlantic Ocean at all. He was probably thinking maybe about the Mediterranean or the Red Sea, and they're not quite as deep. But nonetheless, they are still deep. And, and the principle that he's trying to get across here is it's like God takes our sin and he hurls it into the ocean and it sinks down into the depths right to the bottom and it's just gone. Our sin disappears. It's never going to come up again. And that is the position that God puts each of us in through Christ Jesus our Lord. And now let's have a look at how he does this by his grace. In the verse that we're looking at today, or the two verses, God's grace refers to the grace of God that saves a person. And grace is the unearned favour of the Lord. It's the favour that God gives us. We don't earn it, but God gives it to us as a free gift. You see, we have nothing in ourselves that will commend us to God. We have no saving grace on our own. Salvation is entirely God's work. Jesus' work on the cross is what saves us, not our own merit. And we see God's grace at work again in the Old Testament in what we were looking at before with the Hebrew people. And it serves as a really good picture. So we're going to have a look at it. In this story, in the Old Testament, we see that the salvation or the rescue of God's people is entirely by God's initiative and it is entirely his gift. So let's have another visit to that story again because it sort of forms the background of what Paul is saying here in our couple of verses in Ephesians. When the Hebrew people were rescued out of slavery in Egypt, God did it all completely and utterly. So remember that the families were required, each family had to kill a lamb, the Passover lamb, and take the blood and put it on the door frames of their house. And then the angel bringing judgment and destruction would pass over the house. Hence, of course, it's called the Passover. And there was nothing that the people could do to stop the judgment of this angel. There was nothing they could do. It was wholly and solely the blood of the lamb put on the door frame 
And this was at God's initiative and God's direction. So it was God himself that provided the way that they would be saved. And of course, for us today, Jesus is the lamb who was slain. Jesus is our Passover lamb. And then furthermore, remember what happened in the story that the the, uh, Egyptians let the people go. God calls Pharaoh to, to say, okay, just go, just go. And uh, then they, they travelled and they came up to the Red Sea. So you can imagine two million people here at the Red Sea and they can't cross it. And then they look and back in the distance they see Pharaoh's army coming because Pharaoh had a change of heart and he said, I'm coming, I'm going to go and get them. So they're caught. And if you're going to write a book about it, you could call it trapped because they are trapped between the sea and this army that is coming, and the army means them no good at all. Now, look at what happens here. This is all God. The people, there's nothing they can do at all. They're just helpless. But look at what God does. We read in the scripture that the angel of God who had been travelling in front of Israel now moves behind them and and the angel of God comes between the Hebrew people, God's people, and the Egyptian army. And then furthermore, the the pillar of cloud, there was a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire that went before them. The pillar of cloud also comes from in front of them and comes behind them, and the pillar of cloud now is between God's people and the Egyptian army. And then all night, the cloud puts the army in darkness So they can't do anything. The Egyptians are in darkness. They can't do anything. But remember, the pillar of fire is giving light to the Hebrew people, God's people, all night. It's an amazing story what God has done so far. Then all that night, the wind blows. God causes the wind to blow. And and the seas are pushed back. And there's these two big walls of water. And then uh, God's people are able to walk through and they get to the other side, and then the Egyptian army comes in and follows. And then we read that God threw them into confusion, and he jammed the chariot wheels. So the army comes in, and to keep them all there in in the sea, God causes that confusion. He actually stops the the wheels from operating. And, And there they are, they're caught, and then finally God allows the sea to come back and the Egyptian army are destroyed. Friends, this is all God. It's not the people at all. God entirely and totally saved the people out of slavery in Egypt. God totally and completely redeemed them. And it's the same for us today. God redeems us from our sin and he does it all. In its entirety, God completely and totally rescues us from our sin. There is absolutely nothing we can do. We are as helpless as God's people who are trapped between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army. You know, at Christmas time, uh, many toys are purchased for children. and Sometimes on the boxes, uh, we read, Uh, that this toy requires batteries, but they're not included. So you have to go out and you have to buy them. 
Well, God's grace is very different to that. When we get God's grace, we get everything in the package, completely and totally. We don't have to go and buy anything extra. We don't have to add anything extra to it. God gives us his grace completely and utterly and totally. In Ephesians chapter 2, so it's the next chapter on from our text in Ephesians 1, we read this, and these are key verses. Paul says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So no works are counted in our salvation is wholly and solely by God's grace. And even faith is gifted to us. When Paul says here it is the gift of God, he's referring to the whole process of salvation by grace through faith. Faith is a gift given to us. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 says that Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. And Romans 3.11 tells us there is no one who seeks God. So without God working in our life, no one even seeks after God. We are so caught up in our sin that nobody of their own will seek after God. So we need God to draw us. Without that, we won't even seek him. And God's saving grace is completely his gift to us. Even our ability to accept his saving grace is a gift from God. Oh, the riches of God's grace. That's what it says in this verse, the riches of God's grace, how amazing God's grace is to us. And then Paul goes on to say something else. He talks about the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. What does that mean? God's grace was lavished on us. Well, lavished means to bestow on us a generous or or ingenerous and extravagant quantities. So God's grace is bestowed on us in generous or extravagant quantities. Now, What that stops us from doing in understanding this, it stops us thinking mistakenly that God has saved us but he's only done it begrudgingly. You see, we might get caught up in this notion that, oh, God's loving so he saved us, but really, you know, we're so yucky in our sin, we've got little nasties, you know, in our life, and we might think, Oh, God probably just saved us begrudgingly. You know, it's a bit like God's in heaven thinking, oh, well, I'll save Bob, but I'll look at him. (laughs) I don't really want to. You know, oh, will I, won't I? Oh, yeah, yeah, all right, I'm loving, I'll save him. Yeah, we, we can think like that, but that's not true because God didn't save us begrudgingly. He didn't give us the free gift of grace begrudgingly or or reluctantly, but he he lavished his grace upon us. I'm partial to a Devonshire tea. Um, If you don't know what that is, that's where you go and you get either a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and you get a scone. 
and then they have a little, usually a couple of saucer thingies and you have jam in it and you have cream. And the idea is you cut the scone and you put on some jam and put on some cream. It's really yummy. Some of you I can see you thinking, oh, I better get one today. <laughs> I've been out to places and you order your Devonshire tea and I'm a coffee man so I have my cappuccino and along it comes and you're sitting there and, and you can't wait for it and then they bring it along and it's this little cup of cappuccino, a little cup. And I'm thinking, oh, I can barely see this little cup. That'll only be a couple of, you know, mouthfuls. Oh, that's not very good. And then you look at the scone, and it's this little scone. And, and it sort of looks all hard and dry. And you think, oh, I hope I can get the knife through it, you know, and cut it. And, and then you, so you do. And then you get the jam and you looking for the jam, it's this tiny little bit of jam and this tiny little round dish and you sort of, ooh, and there's barely enough to scrape over your scone. And then the cream, oh, same thing, you know, just a tiny bit of cream, oh, that's not very good, you know. And, and there you are having this scone. And you can't help but thinking, boy, these, these people are a bit mingy. Now, I've paid for this and this is a bit mingy. But then I've been to places and uh, you're sitting there and they come out and it's a cup. <laughs> Whoa, this is, it's a mug, it's a big mug of cappuccino. Oh, I'm thinking, oh, this is going to keep me going. And, uh, and then the scone, whoa, <laughs> it's like a hamburger, you know, big, fluffy and light. And you cut it and it's almost like the knife just whoosh, you know, goes through. And then the, the, the jam's in this big saucer like this and you put the jam on and the jam just keeps going and, you, you know, you can't even use all the jam. There's still jam and then the cream is piled up. Now, that's a Devonshire tea. <laughs> but you see, then when I have that kind of Devonshire tea, I'm thinking to myself, the people who brought this, they brought it with a warmth and a generosity and maybe even a love and they're thinking, hey, we want our customer really to enjoy this. You know, if they're buying a Devonshire tea, man, we're going to lay it on. We're just going to give it to them as opposed to the, the measly one where you're sort of thinking the people are bringing it out begrudgingly and reluctantly. They're thinking, well, this person paid for it, but we're going to get every ounce of what they paid by giving them a real measly portion so we make more profit. Friends, God's grace is lavished on us. Now, I know this sounds a bit silly, but it's like God bringing the big Devonshire tea. <laughs> God doesn't come with his grace and, and, and brings this measly little amount of grace and puts it there and thinks, oh, well, I have to give it to them, you know. God delights to bring his grace. He's coming out with warmth and love and generosity and he's saying, here is my grace in Christ. Here is my forgiveness and I want you to delight in it and I want you to enjoy it. You see, there's a couple of things that we need to think of you know, sure, now in our life, we do have nasties, don't we? We're sinful people, you know, and sometimes there's things in our own life we don't like and, and we see our sins, we see our shortcomings, we see our failures. But we need to remember something about the whole work of God's grace 
In Psalm 139, we're told this. We need to go to the beginning and to the end. We're told in Psalm 139 that God knitted us together in our mother's womb. So that tells us that God made us like he wanted to make us. But then the problem is sin tarnished the image. So God made us, but then sin gets in the way and and it sort of messes things up and it puts little nasties uh, into our life. But what happens ultimately because of forgiveness and because of God's grace? Ultimately, when, when we're in glory, what happens? We are perfected. God completely and totally has dealt with our sin and we will no longer be sinners. We will no longer sin in glory. So all the little nasties are going to be taken away and what will be left is the beautiful person that God created us to be. The person he wanted to make in in our mother's womb, the person he designed will be the person that he wants ultimately in glory. All the nasties have gone, the beautiful person is left there. That is the amazing riches of God's grace. Friends, God did not save us reluctantly or begrudgingly, but God has done it with warmth and love and he just wants us to be absolutely delighted in what he has done. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we thank you so much for the redemption that we have through Christ's blood, for the forgiveness of sins and for your incredible grace, the riches of your grace lavished upon us. Lord, we thank you that you delight in us. You don't delight in our sin, but you delight in us. And you have saved us through the Lord Jesus Christ and taken us into your family. We now belong. We belong to you. Lord, we are so, so thankful. And this morning, Lord, please help us to remember that, to take it to heart whenever we're having trouble. May we remember this text out of Ephesians chapter 1 and how important and powerful it is. And Lord, we give you all the honour and all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.